This is Geeks and Jacks. Welcome back to Geeks and Jacks. May the 4th, recording May 4th, uh, 2023. This is Aaron Salt. Glad to have you here. Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on Spotify for podcasters, or the other way around. This can also be found on Radio Public and Google Podcasts, so I don't download those places. Search for Geeks and Jacks. Plenty of content awaits. So, definitely have some stuff to talk about, including Mario reaching a milestone, my thoughts on Guardians, especially around the fact that Iron Man has turned 15, same thing with GTA, uh, with GTA 4, talk about Jerry Springer and a few other sports stuff, here on this episode of Geeks and Jacks. So the May the 4th thing, just for a quick reference, it's a lot of people go hype for Star Wars and all that because the first one came out May 4th, uh, 1977. One of the biggest sci-fi things of the 70s and probably of all time. So going to box office mojo, I had a look at it recently as... And it's kind of surprising that it wasn't a huge weekend for some of the new movies. But we'll get into it. And starting with the obvious, number one, Super Mario. Made almost $41 million this past weekend. And it had a drop in theaters, if you find that hard to believe. 146 theaters dropped, but still in 4,200 theaters. So this movie, as it stands right now, since Tuesday the 2nd, 496 million domestic and 548.8 million internationally. So it crossed a billion dollars. I'm not sure how often that's been the case for Illumination or Universal, really, for animated movies, but it's one of the few for Universal. At least, to my knowledge, for animation. So, the number worldwide, 1,044,868,162 dollars. Probably... Probably the only movie for a video game adaptation to get that type of number. And no doubt it hasn't slowed down since it came out roughly a month ago. It, I mean, it's the only kids film that you can really take your kid to. There might be a couple spots that might be tiny bit juvenile, but otherwise it's a clean, fun film. You know, a across multiple generations. Number two, Evil Dead Rise. Twelve million over the weekend. So it's made itself pretty sizable amount of money. Forty six point six domestic, forty three point seven. So it's already made just over ninety million. Not too bad. Number three, a new release. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. 6.7 million. And so far, it's found itself at 8.1 million. Curious to see what the budget is for that movie. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Budget. Just want to look for. Eh, it's not. It's not too bad. Thirty million. Expecting maybe. Kind of was expecting maybe like twenty, twenty-five million, or on the higher side maybe forty. But eh, not sure how far this will movie will go. But 
at least it won't be a huge flop. So number four, re-release. Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Depending on how far this goes, maybe it does decent for another weekend or so. Just saying. It's already made about $6 million for the re-release. I, I think a lot of people swear by the predecessor, Empire Strikes Back, as being the best of Star Wars, at least that original trilogy. Or maybe of all the Star Wars movies. Number five, John Wick Chapter 4. Not a huge loss. $4.8 million over the weekend, and it crossed over $400 million altogether. Almost 177 mil domestic and 226 mil internationally. Number six, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. I'm kind of surprised it's still going. Uh, 88.9 domestic and 106 internationally. Sure, it's flopping, but it's still going, surprisingly. Only made $4.1 million over the weekend. Just crossing $4 million at number 7 is Air, the Michael Jordan Nike thing. 48.3 domestic and 31.6 internationally. So it's nearing $80 million. So I don't... Th- I think when you look at this... I said it before, I think in the last episode... I mean, Amazon's probably going to eat some of the losses, but it's not... If if it's where it is, at the minimum with the budget, it's it did okay. That's the big question. I don't know what the exact budget is for it. That, that to me, is the biggest problem. Number eight. Pontian Selvin Part 2. Looks like... Uh, Ah, uh, never mind. I thought it was going to be one of those anime movies that came out. But no, it's a uh, action-adventure drama. Looks like a... Looks like an India type of... Type of film. Three point... Eight million. I think it was just for one weekend, and that's it. Number nine, The Covenant. 3.5 million. So, no doubt, this movie is a failure. 13 mil domestic and just over 300,000 internationally. Number 10, Sisu. S-I-S-U. I've seen some advertisements for this movie online. So, the, the description for this movie, as it says... When an ex-soldier who discovers gold in the Lapland wilderness tries to take the loot into the city... Nazi soldiers led by a brutal SS officer battle him. That's at least what it says. So it made... A little over 3.3 million and sitting at... 4.2 million altogether. I just wanted to look and see maybe the reviews for it. Sisu, maybe look at the budget a tiny bit too. I can't imagine this being 6 million euros. So, shot, this was shot about a couple of years ago. So, what is 6 million pounds? That's pretty cheap. 6 million. Pounds, so seven and a half million. That is actually, that's that's really cheap. That is that is extremely cheap for the type of movie this is supposed to be. It's well received right now. Not really anyone I know off the top of my head. Some people saying brutal, dark, gloriously brutal finish World War II film. 
I mean, must be doing decent enough. Maybe it hasn't come out yet in other parts of the world to be considered a success yet, but hey, at least it's not going to be a failure, especially compared to the fact that it beat out Big George Foreman, the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world. Holy moly, 2.9 million. That's at number 11. I usually don't talk about that stuff, but I am just absolutely stunned that I figured this movie probably would have done well, or at least make more than 2.9 million. Just stunned about that. I really am. So, yeah. So we got a number of movies. One that just came out is Unconditional. A documentary on mental health for those living with a disability. With that said, this this upcoming weekend, What's Love Got to Do With It, Love Again, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Those are the wide releases along with limited releases of Slava Ukraini, The Melt Goes On Forever. Let's see what the full title is for that movie. Oops, wrong one. The Melt Goes On Forever, The Art and Times of David Hammonds. Is this supposed to be a documentary? Yep, documentary. And it's going to be one of those, I think, political race type of things. One Ranger, Atlantic of Gold, and Chili 76. Again, okay, I thought it was something else. It's a horror movie. Not interested. Other stuff coming out includes a UFC fight. It's going to be in some theaters. Ponyo, which is a movie that came out in 08. And roll with it before getting into the next batch of of movies for the upcoming weekend on the 12th. So, what do I think is going to be the number one movie for this weekend? I think it all points to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And so far it's being reviewed pretty well. A lot of people love The Guardians. It was one of the surprise movies when the first one came out almost nine years ago. A lot of people loved it. It did really well. And you got a second movie that came out six years ago that did really well. I mean, people love The Guardians. They, they, they're probably one of the biggest cash cows now for Marvel. So, the big question is, will fans like it enough? I think, obviously, this is going to be a number one movie over the weekend. Will it make over $100 million? And if it does, how far past $100 million will it make? Because Marvel is kind of on shaky ground a little bit, considering how bad that Ant-Man 3 movie failed. But I'd imagine a lot of people are going to go see this because James Gunn's last Marvel film lasts for some of these guys, particularly Dave Bautista, for example. Could it be the ultimate send-off for the Guardians? Now, I had to look at the budget not too long before recording, and the budget supposedly, in looking at ScreenRant.com, about 250 million. And the number that they said they needed to make a profit for was the same thought I had in my head about 600 million. I think it needs to make anywhere from 600 to 700 million just to have any sort of profit. And I think Disney desperately needs this movie. And I think they desperately need this a lot more than they realize. 
due to what could potentially happen in June. And by that, the question is, will the Elemental movie from Pixar do well? Will it bring Pixar back into the spotlight if people love it enough, if critics love it enough? Because that is a big question mark in the air. And not to mention when Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny comes out next month. Disney needs to make well beyond, I think, $700 million just to just to make any profit with, with Dial of Destiny. I keep thinking in the back of my mind of an article I read 15 years ago of Paramount and Lucasfilm needing to make $500 million when Crystal Skull was coming out. And there was heavy anticipation for it, despite the mixed results from critics and fans. A lot of people went to go see it, and it made huge, huge money. So this is why I look at Guardians as being the desperate film that Disney needs. And this is coming around the heels of Iron Man turning 15. I feel like if it wasn't if it wasn't the end of April because I was thinking about it there was like talk about because GTA 4, which I'll definitely talk about uh, later on, I think it made more money in its opening weekend. Oh, no, it did come out May 2nd, 08. Made more money than the first Iron Man in its opening weekend. (laughs) Yeah, Iron Man, I mean... At 15, I mean, it was the first for that cinematic crap that they've been doing for the last 15 years, but it felt fresh, it felt unique to a lot of people. It was something different amongst the crowd that were probably disappointed with Spider-Man and X-Men, particularly with their third movies. Not a lot of people were huge on the third Spider-Man, especially coming off of what a lot of people might view as the best comic book movie in Spider-Man 2. And the approach with uh, the X-Men, a lot of people love X-Men. I think there is a great love towards the first two of the 2000s X-Men. And I would say First Class and Days of Future Past, a lot of people like those. And the quality went up quite a bit for the Wolverine movies as time went on. Especially with Logan. That came out, that was like six years ago. That one was really huge, and that managed to find its way into award season in like a couple spots. A lot of people love those films. And so, I mean, probably offered a different type of movie with with Iron Man. And I think it's something that Disney has lost sight on over the years. You know, why people gravitate towards those movies and probably even some of the early stuff when Disney took over as the company in charge of Marvel and all the stuff that they had. I think they lost sight of what it meant to make those type of movies and you know it it makes you wonder if the direction they're going if that big decline is coming. I think if Guardians doesn't do well, I think Disney would have to reconsider what to do with some of their other projects. But I I wouldn't think Guardians would fail. I think it will do really well. I wouldn't be surprised at the end of its run makes maybe $800 Makes roughly where the second one is. A billion, though, that's that's a question for another day. Because I have no clue. But yeah, those are those are my thoughts with movies. So moving on, 
going to sports. Definitely, you know how big it is when NFL draft is probably the big talk for a while. So I'm going to look at just the at the first round. Go to Pro Football Reference and look at the draft in particular. Just looking at the first round, and that's it. Maybe I'll look at at some other point, maybe not uh, other rounds altogether. So starting off, Bryce Young, first overall to Carolina. Carolina, they need a quarterback. Very obvious. Maybe this kick starts something similar to what happened in 2011 with Cam Newton. It's just a matter of what happens next. Houston, second overall. And they actually got the third overall due to trading with Arizona. C.J. Stroud, uh, the second overall pick. And Will Anderson Jr., a linebacker. Try to hit all cylinders. Try to get a guy that can lead their defense and... I'm guessing they're not too confident in, confident in Davis Mills. At least that's what I look at. But definitely building for the future. That's what I see. Indianapolis, fourth overall, Anthony Richardson. He will probably be their starter if if the whatever that other guy is. I forget. They that was a. That's been a mess over the years with the QB situation. Going to be a huge mess. I mean, hopefully this guy is their answer because so far it's been nothing but disaster. Over the last four years, I want to say. Fifth overall, Seattle, Devin Witherspoon. Defensive back. Going all in on defense. Some of the stuff they've been doing in the offseason, that rebuilding it and hopefully with a rejuvenated offense of Geno Smith and being more comfortable, maybe they go beyond what they did last year. Paris Johnson Jr., six overall lineman for Arizona, doing what they can to protect Kyler Murray if he's still there. Tyree Wilson, 7th overall, Vegas, outside linebacker. That's not a bad choice. Running back, Bijan Robinson to Atlanta. I'd say interesting choice, I mean, but definitely need a young running back to help uh, ease the burden on Desmond Ritter. Chicago and Philly exchanged, I believe. So Jalen Carter to Philadelphia, ninth overall, and Darnell Wright to Chicago. Chicago definitely needs to protect uh, Justin Fields, and Carter, well, help Philly keep that defense that was really good this past season. Peter Skoronsky, lineman, 11th for uh, Tennessee. Definitely need some good protection, depending on how their quarterback situation is. Jameer Gibbs, Detroit. You never know what you're going to have with David Montgomery. So Detroit, definitely keeping a good eye. Lucas Van Ness, uh, Green Bay defensive lineman. Honestly, it's a crapshoot, I think, with Green Bay. and Working on that defense... Sure, why not? Broderick Jones, lineman for Pittsburgh. I don't really have a comment. Will McDonald, the Jets, defensive end. Yeah. Get that defense going. It's going to be a very hype season, I think, for the Jets, with uh, Aaron Rodgers being there now. And they actually uh, brought Randall Cobb to the Jets, too. So, I think you're going to look at this uh, Jet team as a Super Bowl or bust type of situation. 
And the Jets, at times, do have really good defenses. Emmanuel Forbes, corner to uh, Washington. I mean, I don't know what the situation is. It's kind of murky all around on both sides of the ball. But, hey, work on the defense. I mean, they got a running back they need, some good receivers. The confidence in probably that Howell guy. I think that's who it is for uh, Washington. Christian Gonzalez, defensive back to New England. I think they got enough weapons on offense, or at least enough to do well under Bill O'Brien. So working on the defense, hey, why not? Jack Campbell, linebacker to Detroit. Hey, hit both sides of the ball. Be nice to see Detroit have a really good season again. Defensive lineman, Kalisha Cansey to Tampa. Hey. They got they got to focus on defense. I think that was one of the big things that hurt Tampa. Seattle, Jackson Smith, Jigba, wide receiver. Got four straight receivers here, by the way. Uh, Chargers, Quentin Johnston. Save Flowers to Baltimore and Jordan Addison, Minnesota. Addison will definitely put pressure off of Justin Jefferson to be the perfect guy. That offense is going to be unbelievable, potentially. Save Flowers, hey, give Lamar Jackson another top guy, especially with Odell Beckham being there. You never know what you're going to get. Quentin Johnston, I mean, I don't know. I think there's more problems to the Chargers than drafting a receiver first round. But hey, give Herberts another good guy, potentially. I don't know what the receiver situation is like for the Seahawks, but maybe put enough guys to where you have a one-on-one with the Metcalf or uh, Lockett. Deontay Banks, New York Giants, uh, defensive back. Definitely got to fill a void in some capacity. Buffalo uh, gets tight end Dalton Kincaid or Kinsade. They're not confident in in Dawson Knox. I mean. Maybe a wake-up call is coming. Mozzie Smith, uh, defensive lineman, Dallas. Definitely can help bolster their chances a bit more. You know, be better defensively. Anton Harrison, offensive lineman to Jacksonville. Definitely important piece of the puzzle now with... uh, I think it was Cam Morrison being suspended for PEDs. Miles Murphy, defensive end to Cincinnati. Definitely, definitely good focus. I mean, they got enough offense, so build the defense, and this team could be a playoff team for even more years to come. Brian Percy, defensive tackle to New Orleans. I probably would have started the first round with maybe looking for an offensive guy or maybe an offensive lineman, but one thing at a time. Nolan Smith, outside linebacker to Philadelphia, bolstering the defense. In Kansas City, Felix Anyadike Uzoma, defensive end to Kansas City. I don't know how bad the defense is for Kansas City, but... They got enough on defense, well, offense, so probably focused on trying to get defensive stuff going and potentially repeat. Especially if they're doing anything to make sure uh, Pat Mahomes can give them a third or fourth Super Bowl ring. So speaking of all that, Baltimore gave Lamar Jackson five years, $260 million. And he accepted. 
I think it was about 180 something guaranteed. And so I think this is going to go down as a failure. The last few years, he has not been healthy. And I would be scared if I'm a Baltimore fan because they did the same thing with Joe Flacco, but that was when Flacco won the Super Bowl in 2012. That team was not the same. Some of it was on Flacco, but some of it was also on the fact that that core group defensively and some of the offensive guys later on, I mean, were gone. It was just not a good situation, and the fact that they only made the playoffs once during that six-year contract of, of Flacco. Technically two, but that was the first year under Lamar Jackson. So, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I think Jalen Hurts probably has a better chance of doing better because he can throw the ball better and is probably smarter with his legs compared to Lamar. Have to see what happens. So is the case of seeing what happens with the NBA. Because the NBA ratings, let's just say they've been better. And some of their best in a long, long time. About 10 years for some things. So, yeah, I'm just looking to see. So, it had some huge ones averaging... First round averaging 3.4 per night, according to Deadspin. And games on ESPN and ABC averaging 4.5 million. For first rounds, it's one of the best in a long time. Maybe the best ever. Just trying to look. Uh, Biggest one being Warriors and Kings. Game 7 for most viewed first round games since 99. The number being almost 10 million. That is crazy. Just absolutely crazy. The last time, Game 7 in Sacramento in 02 for a non-finals game between them and the Kings and the Lakers. But there's some other stuff, I mean... Just trying to look for other stuff, but... There are some big ratings, I think, for the Bucks game against the Heat. And so far, we got some series that have split their series. So far, 1-1 for Boston and Philadelphia. Miami and the Knicks. It's, I mean, this is the type of stuff I think the NBA has been probably waiting for in probably four or five years. You know, stuff that gets people back to watching the NBA. I think it all depends on how they do stuff on the court and off the court, especially with how vocally political the uh, NBA is, especially with select players and coaches. Will that still turn off some viewers? Especially if it's specific teams that are going to be in the finals if they do that well. And the MVP for the NBA probably had some dictation into probably a political or racial aspect with it being Joel Embiid, the winner of the MVP this year. Which, no doubt, I mean, Embiid did really well, but... I think the debate was like between him and Giannis for the Milwaukee Bucks and 
the Nikola Jokic guy. You wonder if Jokic was snubbed because I feel like I'm gonna look into that for a second. Jokic maybe see if there's anything regarding the because I'm wonder if he could have won it again. MVP snub. Yeah, fans. It's. I mean, some of it is is the case. I mean, some people snubbed. Jokic. I mean, it's. I mean, it's probably going to be a debate for a long time, and fans not being. I don't know. I mean, it's. It's one of those things, I mean, you see it with probably tons of tons of sports. Dominant season. I mean, he was really good. I mean, he's ever since he got past his foot issues to, at the start of his career, Embiid's been a really good player. It's just a matter of his health and if he can sustain being in long seasons and having lengthy playoff runs. So, (laughs) just trying to find 73 of the 100 available first place, Jokic 15, and Giannis 12. 33 points per per game, 10.2 rebounds. That's really good. I think it has to do potentially with There definitely is some narrative going on because I think there were some black people that were complaining on the whole Jokic type thing if he wins it again. I'm not sure if it was Stephen A. Smith or Bomani Jones, I forget which one, or someone else, but it just... Why is it a bad thing if someone like Jokic wins it, what, like three years in a row or something? Why is it a bad thing, especially when a number of the MVPs are black? Maybe I don't follow it as much compared to compared to others, but I mean this was like a big deal couple this was what like a month or two ago maybe three months ago on the whole thing I don't know it's I mean I'm sure Jokic won't be bothered about it but you know a lot of these guys are gonna I mean sure an MVP is nice but I'm sure holding the NBA Finals trophy would be an even bigger deal. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is some media bias in trying to favor Embiid, even though Embiid... It's it's going to be one of those things that will be debated for a long time. I'm sure it happens at some points for sports over the years. Who is more deserving of the Cy Young? Who is more deserving? Can there be a non-quarterback winning the MVP in the NFL. It's just a weird situation, but... Yeah. But I'll tell you what, at least I'm not a Boston Bruins fan. I'd be pissed if I was the Bruins. (laughs) Just to talk one one thing with the Celtics just for a second, they annihilated Philadelphia 121-87. to That's crazy. Like, I knew it was a bad game, but holy moly. But yeah, the Bruins, 3-1 lead, let, oh my god, I didn't even realize it. Oh my god, 4-3, overtime, same exact score for game 5 and game 7. 
in Boston's arena. Holy moly. And this was the team with the best record ever for a regular season in the NHL. I think it was besting the 96 Detroit Red Wings. I think the Red Wings won the uh, championship that year in 96. Or maybe it was Colorado. I forget which one. But... How do you... I mean... I mean, it's one thing to lose, have like the Rangers lose to the New Jersey Devils. It's another thing to for Carolina to beat the Islanders or Edmonton winning. But also, just thinking that for a surprise, the Kraken actually beating the Colorado Avalanche to win their first ever playoff series against a reigning Stanley Cup champion. I believe it's, it's the first time ever in the history of the NHL that this has happened. But now I just thought about this uh, for a minute. Just go back to basketball for a second. Uh, April 30th, just thinking that Miami Heat and Knicks, just go back to that. April 30th marked 25 years since the infamous... Larry Johnson, Alonzo morning fight. When you talk about bad blood, this is probably one of the more infamous examples where Miami and New York, they started to have a bit of a rivalry in the mid to late 90s. Pretty good Knicks team in 97. A fight between P.J. Brown and Charlie Ward. A number of Knicks guys get suspended. Uh, for games 6 and 7, they lose to Miami. Although, I'm not sure how the Knicks would have fared under in the uh, conference finals, considering it was Chicago. You know how that is during that time period. A 69-13 and 13 Bulls team, by the way. And the bad blood of Mourning and Johnson, coming from a time where they both played in Charlotte together... And this was when Charlotte actually started becoming a good expansion team. Kind of feel the same way a bit with the Heat a little bit, too. That was when they started to get pretty good, too. And part of it also being the fact, with Miami in particular, Pat Riley going to the Heat in the mid-90s and having a pretty good run with them for the most part. I think he's still involved with the Heat to some capacity. And the fight happening in the first round of the playoffs next evening the series, but with about a second left in the game, punches thrown at each other, and neither one could land a shot at the other. <laughs> and probably the more infamous moment, beyond just Morning and Johnson, Nick's coach Jeff Van Gundy grabbing on to Morning's uh, leg. It's probably the one thing he'll be remembered for until the day he's dead. Or maybe even after he's dead. What he did to try and stop the fight. And that resulted in both of them getting suspended. And the Knicks prevailing to go to the next round and lose to Indiana. And again, this was also 98 being the last year of that really good Bulls run. It's kind of weird to think about that, if I'm being honest. 25 years ago, the last time the Bulls were really, really good. It's just, I mean, I was very, very young. I don't really remember much of the NBA playoffs of that time, but to think about it, I mean, it's weird to think about it, not just NBA, just thinking the NHL, but just the eras have changed so much, it's just different types of ways we see hockey, we see basketball, I don't know what to say, it's, I mean, if you want a feel-good story, just very quickly going on to baseball, uh, Liam Hendricks of the Chicago White Sox 
recovering from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, going to have a rehab start soon, according to reports online. And, you know, kind of sad to see some of this stuff happen with some of these players. You know, their careers being derailed because of cancer and all that. And, you know, good on him for recovering. You know, hopefully he becomes a big part of what the White Sox need. So moving on, the only big thing I could think of with TV, other than knowing that Always Sunny is coming, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is coming back this summer, is Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer passing away recently at the age of 79 due to pancreatic cancer. And there's been some stuff going on where even Steve Wilkos, who was a part of Springer for a long time on set as like security not knowing about the cancer I think you see this a lot more probably with, I feel like you're going to see this a lot more with some of these celebrities unless it's like very public like say in Olivia Newton-John for example I feel like Celebrities are people too, and I don't think they want the paparazzi or TMZ on their butts because of cancer, you know, being a big part of their life now, and not wanting cameras shoved up their asses 24-7 as they try to recover and all that. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that were to happen to some celebrities, it probably would cause more stress and cause more issues with their cancer. Not sure if that would actually happen, but food for thought. So Springer Springer was involved in politics. He was the mayor of Cincinnati for a couple of years in the late 70s. Big part of Cincinnati, if you find that hard to believe, being in news for them, one of the stations there. But obviously the biggest thing to come out of it was... The Jerry Springer Show, which ran for 27 years. It ran from 1991 to through 2018. And he also had a show recently uh, called Judge Jerry. Which only ran for a few years, so I don't know if it being canned had to do with like cancer or something, or just not enough interest. But I've read some stuff over the years, and I'm not sure if anyone can find clips online to YouTube or something, but the initial years of the first couple of Jerry Springer, it was different. It was trying to do something different. It was trying to be similar to what shows like Oprah Winfrey was doing back then. Like more serious type stuff. Like talk serious issues and other things. I'm sure it did okay, but it wasn't doing to the level of what they probably thought for syndication to compete with Oprah. So the big change being kind of trashy type stuff. And you see that with fights, the type of people that appear on Springer. And during the 90s, it was different. It felt fresh. And in some ways, it reminds me, just thinking this now, it's kind of similar to what Married with Children did. Just Just to go off tangent for a second, Married with Children kept it real in its first couple of seasons and wasn't trying to emulate what the Cosby show was doing. It stayed grounded to earth and wasn't like a typical rich family or anything. And then it became more cartoonish over the years. I mean, to the point where it got very cartoon-like. 
that's kind of what I see with Springer. And Springer catapulted over over Oprah at some point. So at least that's what the stories say. And the outlandishness, I mean, gave Springer notoriety. He had his own movie in the late 90s. He was appearing on t- on certain sitcoms, TV shows. The guy, I didn't even know he made its way onto the freaking X-Files. I mean, X-Files was one of the biggest shows on Fox in the mid to late 90s. But probably the biggest thing outside of his regular stuff was probably Austin Powers, the spy of Shagney. With Dr. Evil and Scott Evil appearing on it, the, f- the first uh, scenes of Jer- of Jerry on there, and resulting in a fight between Dr. Evil and the guests. I think one of them was like a motorcycle skinhead guy, another was like a KKK guy, and Dr. Evil fighting them, and then later on, Springer not being impressed with Evil... And just not liking him and Jerry Springer <laughs> getting into a fight with Dr. E. It is so funny. It is so freaking funny just watching Springer. <laughs> He's biting me. He's biting me. The fucker is biting me. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, with what Dr. Evil did in the 60s, uh, Scott appears on Springer again, and Frau, uh, who is one of the hench people of Doctor Evil, appears on you know something about being considered a test tube baby and doing all lies, all lies. <laughs> so, kind of Doctor Evil kind of altered his history a little bit. Of regarding Scott <laughs> and Springer doing an end monologue for Springer's final thoughts, and obviously the show became more trashier and trashier with what they did, and I'm sure it worked in the 2000s and 2010s to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting piece of. TV history of what Springer was doing back then. It's just crazy to think to be on for that long and just I'm not sure if anybody else really tried to compete in in some similarities this thought came to my mind right around when he passed there was uh, Geraldo Rivera he had his own show for a decade, and one of his most infamous shows involved a big fight and having his nose broken from like a chair being thrown at him. And this was actually mocked in the Weird Al Yankovic film, uh, UHF, where Weird Al's character has a talk show and it turns into a big fight in the end of the promotion. And you see a bandaged up Weird Al. Similar to what I think happened to Geraldo. I mean, in some ways, it was pretty similar to what Springer would have later on. You know, the you know fights and all that stuff. It's just an interesting footnote for syndicated television from a different era, mind you. I don't even know what the landscape's going to be like with syndication for some of these shows. I mean, certain things are going off the air. I mean, Dr. Phil's going off. I think like one or two other things going off for local, for local syndicated stuff. What's going to replace these, these shows? I don't know. But yeah, Springer, you know, 79, I mean, lived a fruitful life from the sounds of it. So, yeah. May there be fights wherever he is. <laughs> so, moving lastly, just a couple gaming-related stuff. As I was talking about Iron Man 
briefly with turning 15. GTA had Grand Theft Auto 4 come out April 29th, 2008. And it was a huge deal. Now, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 were already in the midst of getting big titles. Halo 3 on the 360, Uncharted was the system savior for the PS3. Third-party stuff, such as Call of Duty Modern Warfare, were starting to take over for the industry in the midst of an interesting era, but you have GTA 4, which was supposed to come out at the end of 07, but got pushed back to mid-08. I would say this was the game that pretty much set its generation up to be leading the way over what was going on with the PS2 and the the dead systems of the GameCube and the Xbox, which have been dead for quite a while. And it was a leap in progress for Rockstar Games and the type of open-world games that were around at that time. Sure, there was stuff like Saints Row and Just Cause... But Rockstar bringing forth their A-game with with GTA 4. This was one of the first games that I played on Xbox 360. When my brother and myself got a 360 back in 2010. We were pretty late to, to getting a 360. And this was... After about a month of having it, it started to get a couple games. And GTA 4 was one of those. Like, got that around summer 2010, GTA 4. And being close to graduating high school, I didn't really play much of GTA 4 until maybe a couple years later. Because I wasn't commuting to college at the time. And being back home in near college from where I lived. I spent quite a bit of like the end of 2012 and 2013 playing the game when I, whenever I got the chance. And really got invested into it. And I would say it's a good game. But you have to appreciate what the game was trying to do. It captured New York City. It captured it a lot more than what GTA 3 had in 2001. It felt more accurate, though not 100% identical to what New York City was. It captured the five boroughs pretty well. And I would say the story was interesting. It wasn't just some cheap knockoff, even though they did the parody stuff well for that, of other films and shows. It was just unbelievable what Rockstar was doing back then. Hugely unbelievable. The graphics were, unbel- were, were, were fantastic for the time. The modeling of the characters. The, I mean, the characters themselves, they were they were fascinating to deal with. The gameplay, I mean, you got used to it. I mean, the physics were a lot different. The gun system was felt different. Some of the stuff you could do. It had some stuff that were brought from San Andreas to... To four, and some of the stuff definitely was toned down in some aspects. But otherwise, I mean, it did what it was able to do and accomplished it quite well. However, looking back at it as well, GTA 4 might be on my list for probably some of the most overrated games. One of the most overrated games I've ever played. Doesn't mean I hate the game, but 
I don't think it was as good as they say. The physics were sometimes a little wonky in some spots. Some spots. I was never a huge fan of the wand system. It felt too similar to what Driver was doing on the PlayStation back then. Which is funny because GTA took the 3D aspect of Driver and combined with GTA's gameplay really set the tone for the early to mid-2000s. But the Wanda system was so broken in in GTA 4, it was not... It, thankfully, it was improved by the time 5 came out. 5 did a much better job with the wanted system. The missions took forever, and some of them were just poorly designed. I mean, some, I mean, some missions in G- GTA games are not the greatest, but it suffered the most in 4. That's how I look at it, unfortunately. And, like, one or two other, the, the, the friendship aspect, that was just, that was just stupid in execution. I mean, I like the idea of it, hanging out with other characters and doing other stuff, but to be forced to do it to do that stuff on certain bases, it just, I mean, which is why one of the bigger memes is, Nico, cousin, let's go bowling. That sort of stuff. Although some of the, that stuff is pretty good. I mean, the bowling's not too bad of a mini game. And actually, just thinking about it, the expansions that they did, the Lost in the Damned and the Ballad of Gay Tony, I mean, that stuff was actually not too bad. Would I put it above what 4 did? I'd probably say equal. Maybe just a tad bit lower. But, you know, an interesting footnote for for gaming circa 2008. I mean, I mean, we were pretty much into that new generation because of games like GTA 4. And we progressed further with tons of other games. And the last thing I'll talk about is Double Dragon. So Double Dragon, until then, until today, there hasn't been a new game in probably about six years. And that's going to change. So there's going to be a brand new Double Dragon game coming out to see one sometime this summer there's going to be a new one Double Dragon Gaiden Rise of the Dragons so what it's going to do it looks like it's trying from looking at trailer at a trailer of it I think it's trying to change itself up feel fresh compared to what Double Dragon 4 did. And the first thing that is noticed in the trailer is the graphic overhaul. I think it's going for like a, almost like a Scott Pilgrim type of thing. Streets of Rage 4 maybe to a point. It's hard to tell, but it definitely looks like Japanese type influence from the way it's it's developed but it looks good it it's a hell of a lot better than what Double Dragon 4 had with the mix of like 16-bit flash and 8-bit type graphics this feels like a natural progression compared to what 4 was doing and it looks like it's going to try being its own style of play combined with maybe like a Streets of Rage type look and having two to four player co-op that is welcoming to have four players. They got an original character there and they bring the often kidnapped Marion to be a playable character and I think that's welcoming. You know, you're not it. 
I'm hoping it's not one of those games that has a kidnapped aspect because it. No offense to Double Dragon, but it kind of isn't. Kind of would be nice to not have a rescue story. But still, to have the kidnapped girl or woman be a playable character, that's some Super Mario Brothers 2 type stuff. That's one of the things I love about Mario 2, by the way. Playing as more than just Mario and Luigi. So, just thinking that as well, I mean, being able to play as Jimmy in in, in Double Dragon when it, you're forced to play Billy in a number of the other games, that's nice. And they did that a little bit with Double Dragon 4, being able to play as multiple characters. You know, not being forced to play as Billy only. So this is supposed to come out this summer. Supposed to come out for PlayStation 4 and 5, the Xbox systems, including Xbox One, the Switch, and PC. It's always welcoming. Nice to see something new come out of Double Dragon. Hopefully, hopefully it plays good and hopefully it can top, I would say, even the first game. Because I think the best game of Double Dragon is probably the first game. I would say both the arcade and the NES game. Four comes pretty close. I think I would give them the same scores, but I don't know. It, it's something I'll, I'll have to wrestle in my head with. But always nice to see Double Dragon come back. So that about wraps this episode up. This is episode 153. As I said before, this podcast is on Anchor, not Anchor, uh, Podcasters for Spotify. You can also find this on Google Podcasts and Radio Public. So head on down those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself, take care everyone.